Welcome to the Centerpoint Church podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. This is the last message in our At the Table series. The passage is Luke 24, verses 13 to 35, where the disciples encounter Jesus on the road to Emmaus. God, we pray that this morning you just open our eyes to see you, that you would open our ears to hear our word, your words, and that you'd open our hearts to receive you so that we may be formed and shaped into your image, to look more like you as we leave this place for your glory and for your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in our last week of the series At the Table. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been unpacking some meal scenes in the book of Luke. And honestly, one of my favorite things about Jesus and one of the main reasons I follow him is because he loves food. Um, There's a lot of other reasons, but it is a big reason. He eats. He's a total foodie, um, which feels like it gives me an excuse to just eat food. Um, So if you're wondering what spiritual discipline to practice this summer and you're not, you know, reading Bible, scripture, eat food. It's one of them, Um, particularly with people. And so just keep eating. It's, and Jesus did it and he built relationships around the table. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've seen um, that Jesus, right, he performed miracles while he ate. He challenged really religious people while he ate. He extended grace and compassion and mercy to sinners while he ate. If you remember Zacchaeus a few weeks ago, the tax collector. And he even gave examples of his body and blood while he ate, as we'll do later with communion. He did a lot of things while eating. And one of the main purposes of this series and what we've seen throughout it is that each time Jesus ate with people, he revealed more about himself and who he was and who he is to the people he ate with, but now also to us as we look back in Scripture. And that's kind of the point of meals, at least in in. The time that Jesus lived in the ancient Near East, meals were a big deal. The point of a meal was to share with someone. It was a guarantee of peace, of trust, of friendship, of forgiveness. To to share a table with someone symbolized a shared life with someone. It was a symbol of acceptance. And I know some of us probably have family meals still um, today. I know it happens less because we're so busy and we're moving to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Um, But all too often, our meals today are kind of just to let's eat quick to get the energy we need to do the next thing, right? Rather than engage in relationship, personal relationship. But the meals in the ancient Near East, they were personal. They were intimate. They were a place to be seen, known, and heard, as people really were. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's our desire, too, is to be known, 
is to be seen and to be heard, even if it's really frightening to let people in. Right? We keep people at a distance because we don't want them to know the real us, what we really struggle with, what we really think, what we're really doubting, what we're really wrestling with. But the point of the meals were to be known, seen, and heard. And that's my hope for us this morning, is that in our meal with Jesus, that we're seen by him, known even more by him, and that we experience him as a result. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 24. If you don't, it'll be on the screen, and you can follow along. We're going to be talking about a story called The Road to Emmaus this morning. I just want to read the first two verses as we start. Verses 13 and 14. So Luke 24, verses 13 and 14. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Okay, we're going to stop. We're going to stop there. Right, because the, the text starts and it says that very day. That gives us a clue that, okay, something happened earlier in the day that we need to understand and what we need to know. Because these two disciples, we don't know their names yet, um, these two travelers, followers of Jesus, were walking back from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which was about seven miles but that very day, if we look back earlier in Luke chapter 24, what we see is that Mary Magdalene and a few other women go to Jesus' tomb. So Jesus has died and been crucified, and he's been put in the tomb. And then a few days later, these women go to the tomb, and Jesus isn't there. Right? And they, I don't know what your response would be when someone died and then they weren't where they were supposed to be. I'm sure they, they freaked out. The tomb was empty. And so then they went and told the apostles. They told Peter and the apostles that followed Jesus most intimately and most personally during Jesus' years on earth. But the apostles didn't believe him. And so then Peter ran to the tomb just to make sure they saw the right thing. And sure enough, Jesus was gone. The tomb was empty. And so it was on that very day that these two disciples were making the journey to Emmaus, talking about all of the things that had transpired over the last few days. They were talking about the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, right? The, the empty tomb of Jesus, they were processing it because they were probably confused. What did this mean? What's going on? Where is he? And the text even tells us in some ways that they were strongly debating it and what it meant for them, right? Have you ever debated something with someone? I'm sure that you have. This is what they were doing. They were going back and forth trying to decide the meaning of these things. And so as they were walking, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. But, but here's the thing. This is what the text tells us in verse 16. So it says, Jesus himself drew near and went to them. And then verse 16 says this, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Or in another translation, it says their eyes were held in order not to know him. Their eyes were held in order not to know him. So Jesus shows up to these two disciples who were talking about all of the things that just happened to Jesus. But for whatever reason, they don't know who it is. 
They can't recognize him. They did not know Jesus. They did not see Jesus. And so Jesus asks them a question. And he asks, what are you talking about as you walk? What, what, what are you discussing? And this question from Jesus brings their conversation to a halt. It changes the demeanor completely. Let me ask you this. Has someone ever asked you a question that made you reflect on a painful experience of your past? Has someone ever asked you a question that forced you to kind of go back into yourself on something painful or hurtful or traumatic, and you just kind of froze? Right? You, you just you didn't want to go back to that place. That's what's happening here. The, the text tells us in, chapter, in verse 17, it says, And they stood still looking sad. The question that Jesus asked kind of froze them up a little bit. In what I imagine to be a very long, awkward pause, we've all been in those situations, right? The long, awkward pause, Cleopas, we finally get somebody's name, answered Jesus. But remember, they still don't know that it's Jesus. So Cleopas answers Jesus and says, You've got to be the only person in this whole area that doesn't know what happened these last three days. Where have you been? Have you been living under a rock? Do you have any friends? Are you, have you just been at home? How do you not know what's going on? And so then Jesus asks, well, what happened? What are the things you're talking about? No, I don't know. And Cleopas says, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet who did mighty deeds and miracles, who taught the scriptures in God's word. But then our religious leaders delivered him up to be killed. And he died. And we put him in the tomb. And we really thought, we really hoped that this Jesus was going to be the one who redeemed Israel. We thought he was the one, the Messiah, the Savior. But he died. And now it's the third day since it happened. And some of our friends just went to the tomb and saw that it was empty. And now we don't know what to think or what to believe. We don't know where he is. We don't know what happened. So those are the things we're talking about. And I want us for just a second, I want to focus on an important line of Cleopas's response. They say, in verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Right? These two followers of Jesus, these two travelers from what we know, followed Jesus, knew Jesus. They were in part of the circle that knew and followed Jesus. And so what they're saying is, man, we thought Jesus. We believed with full confidence that Jesus was going to set Israel free from Roman domination. They believed that Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting for. They believed Jesus was the one that the Old Testament pointed to. And guess what? He died. Jesus was not who they thought he was. And their hope was crushed. They were sad 
They froze up because reflecting on it was painful and hurtful, and they didn't want to do it. And their hope and dreams were crushed. Let me ask you, have you ever hoped for something and it didn't happen? If your answer is no, that you've gotten everything you've hoped for, I want to talk to you after because I want what you have. Right, maybe you hoped and worked for a job, but didn't get it. Maybe you hoped for a particular relationship and it didn't happen. Have you ever prayed a prayer and it wasn't answered? Or at least it wasn't answered yet or not as you thought it would be or should be? Man, have you ever hoped or believed someone was going to be healed or cured, but surgery didn't go as planned or didn't happen? Or with everything that you are, did you ever, have you ever hoped that someone was going to live, but then they passed away? Have you ever hoped for community and friends, but yet you just feel so lonely still? Maybe you have a child that just isn't following the Lord, and you've just hoped and prayed and been on your knees night after night, day after day, year after year, and yet nothing or is there some sin in your life that just happens over and over and over again and you've prayed and you've worked and you've talked to people and you've hoped, but yet it just is still there? Have you ever hoped for something and then it didn't happen? I think if we're really honest in this room, and I hope that we can be for just a moment, is sometimes what we know about Jesus doesn't match our lived experience of Jesus. Right, Because if, if we look at this book, we're taught and we know that he's healer, comforter, savior, Lord, chain breaker, shepherd, friend, whatever else. Yet there's, you've experienced so much pain in your life. Or there's so much hurt and pain in our world. Just think about our country over the last few weeks. There's so much pain and hurt that's happened the last few years, today. There's just hurt. Our world is broken and fallen. And so sometimes our hope is crushed. And in our text this morning, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, their hope was crushed. They didn't know what to do. They were confused. So the reality is, if you don't know it yet, and I'm sure you do, we live in a broken and fallen world that's full of pain and hurt and crushed hopes and crushed dreams. We'll get to some good news, I promise. And I realize maybe just as, as we were talking about some of this, maybe it's brought up in you some past hurt, some past pain or sin or struggle. And I, and I want us to actually sit with that for just a moment. I want us to feel it. Because I think that was kind of one of the points of the reason Jesus asked the question. I think it's one of the main reasons Jesus eats with people and asks questions and communes with them. Because he doesn't just want a surface level relationship. He wants to get to our heart and to the root of it. And he wants us to ask questions to draw up our junk. The reality of crushed hopes 
and brokenness and junk in our lives and our world, the fact that that's a reality makes what Jesus does next even more incredible. Let's go back to our text. So Cleopas answers Jesus. Jesus, in verse 25, gives a, a little rebuke to them. And then let's read verse 27. In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what Jesus did was he, he led a Bible study. And he said, look, okay, you see the prophecies? Okay, that's how they were fulfilled in me. Oh, you see all these miracles? That's how it points to me. Oh, you see all of the Old Testament? You see every single word? You know the Psalms? You know the, the Pentateuch? You know all of these books? This is how it points to me. This is how it's about me. And how it points to the cross and to resurrection how the Messiah was supposed to first suffer and then experience glory. That's the pattern of the kingdom. Can you imagine Jesus leading your Bible study? That's, that's what's happening here. Jesus is leading that and opening up to him. And remember, they still don't know it's Jesus. They still don't, even though Jesus is, is opening the scriptures with them and saying, this is how it points to me, this is how it points to me, for whatever reason, they still don't know Jesus. They still don't see or recognize that it is Jesus. And after Jesus does this, let's, I want to skip just a couple of verses and then we'll come back. But here's what the disciples say in verse 31. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? While, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us. Did not our hearts burn within us while he told us how it all pointed to him? And so if, if you'll do something with me for just a moment, will you, will you imagine why their hearts were burning as Jesus opened up the scriptures? Their hearts were burning because they realized their hope was not crushed. And that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. Their hearts were burning because they finally saw Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the anointed one. Who they've been waiting for their whole lives and their people's whole history. Their hearts were burning because they finally understood the cost of Jesus' sacrifice and suffering. On the cross, their hearts were burning because their hope was restored, and they just experienced the promises of God in the person of Jesus. That's why their hearts were burning. They knew something was going on. And so after Jesus unpacks the scripture, and their hearts are burning in them while they do this, here's what Jesus does. They stopped traveling. Jesus wanted to go a little further, but the two people are like, no, stay. Come on, stay with us. And then they ate together. We finally get to the table. In verse 30 and 31 say this, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. 
Jesus sat at the table. He took the bread and broke and blessed it. And that's the moment where their eyes were opened and they saw who it was and then Jesus was gone. Another version says it like this, their eyes were opened and they knew him. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. I want to go back for a second. I want to I'm going to, I hope it's okay. I'm going to be kind of a geek for a second. I hope that's okay. Um, I'm going to ask you to participate in some way too. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but let's, I want to compare verse 16 and verse 31. Right? If we, if we go back to verse 16, it says, And their eyes were held in order not to know him. Right? You see how the word know is used? Their eyes were held in order not to know him. And then in verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him. I want to focus on that word know and knew right there. The word, it's really important, and I like it a lot. The word in the Greek is epigonosko. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say epigonosko. It's kind of a fun word, right? Yeah, epigonosko. Like, if you use that this week, let me know, and I'll give you something. Um, so epi means on the basis of. And gnosko means personal experience or personal relationship. So on the basis of personal relationship. On the basis of personal experience. And so in verse 16, they did not know him on the basis of personal experience. In verse 31, they did know him on the basis of personal experience. This word gnosko is used a lot of different ways in Scripture. If we take the Old and New Testament and the Hebrew version of this word, it's often used, in, and you'll see in Scripture, that it's used to describe sexual intimacy between husband and wife. Adam knew Eve. That's that word, gnosko. There, it's, it's the most personal relationship that you can have with someone. Right, or in John 17, 3, when Jesus is, is teaching the disciples in the upper room, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the same word. This is eternal life, that they know you. And when we think about knowledge in our context and in our world, and especially I work at Dort, which is an academic institution, which is great, but when we think of knowledge, we think of intellectual knowledge. We think of our brains. We think of factual knowledge. But the way knowledge is used in Scripture is much more experiential knowledge. You know, for example, there's some of us in the room that um, believe or think a stove is hot. And there's some of us who really know because we've touched that stove and we have a burned finger, right? Maybe, you know, kids or you have stories. There's some of us who, who think that Mexico is beautiful because we've seen pictures or heard about it. And there's some of us who know because we just got back from the beach. That was, I, I did that. I just got back from the beach in Mexico, so I'm kind of rubbing it into you. I know it's beautiful because I've experienced it. And some have just pictured it and dreamed about it. And so, okay, why do we talk about this? Why, why, do, we, why do we go here? Because here's what I want us to see. In verse 16 of our text, the disciples knew about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. 
The disciples hoped Jesus was the Messiah, but they did not know Jesus to be the Messiah. They couldn't see Jesus because they were trying to see based on what they thought to be true rather than what they experienced to be true. And I don't know about you, hoping's good and we should hope, but I'd rather know, right? I think, I think knowing is better than hoping, although we, we, we should hope as well. And I wonder how many of us in this room this morning try to understand Jesus with our brains rather than see him with our hearts. You guys remember that old song? I, I was thinking about singing it. I wrote the lyrics here like, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Wow, I, can't, I just sang on stage. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Right? Like that should be our prayer. That should be our desire. That I'll sing next week, Emily. Um, <laughs> figure if you can hit the note once, you can hit it every time. I don't know if that's true. Um, but we should want to see him with our heart, not just understand him with our mind. And in verse 31, the disciples see Jesus. They know Jesus. They know him on the basis of personal experience, personal relationship, intimacy, fellowship, friendship. And so their eyes were opened. And you might be asking at this point in the message, well, okay, awesome. Well, how do I experience Jesus? How do I get to know Jesus? How do we do that? Well, let's find out. Remember, Jesus was at the table, and he took the bread, and he broke it, and he blessed it. And I, and I, wonder, I wonder if as Jesus took the bread and as he broke the bread, I wonder if as the two disciples who were there eating with him, I wonder if in that moment they saw the scars on his hand. I know, I'm just, I'm just imagining, I'm trying to put myself in the story, but I wonder if in that moment, after Jesus explained the scriptures to them, told them how the Messiah had to suffer, and then all of a sudden Jesus raised the bread and they saw the scars, and I wonder if it's in that moment their eyes were opened. That it's in that moment that they experienced the love of God because they say, he's the one who died for us. They knew Jesus to be the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, as Isaiah prophesied many years before. They ex finally experienced the, that by the wounds of Jesus that they were healed. It's in the experience of the cross of Jesus where these disciples experienced the love of Jesus. And the same is true for you and me. It's in our experience of the cross of Jesus where we experience the love of Jesus. And so how do we do it? We go to the foot of the cross. We go to the foot of the cross as we really are with all our sin, all our doubt, all our anxiety, all our, all our fear. We go to the foot of the cross with our crushed hopes and dreams and unanswered prayers and addictions. And we experience Jesus by seeing those scars. Because it's by those very scars that we're healed. And it's in that place where we experience his grace and his mercy. We can no longer keep God at a distance because we're afraid our hopes will be crushed 
We can't keep God at a distance because we just think the gospel's too good to be true. The gospel couldn't save me. I've done too much. I've doubted too much. I've, I've hurt too many people. But can I tell you, Jesus took on your sin and pain and hurt. Jesus died. Jesus came back to life. Jesus ascended to the Father. And Jesus now is at the right hand of the Father inviting you to come to the foot of the cross. He's inviting you to experience him, to give you life. It's by his wounds we're healed. And we got to get to know Jesus' wounds by giving him ours. I'll close with this. It's not a coincidence that this happened around a table. It's not a coincidence that this happened as they saw the scars around a table. Because remember, the table is a place of acceptance. There's a quote by Brennan Manning, uh, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel. I highly recommend it. But he, said, he writes this. If Jesus appeared at your dining room table tonight with knowledge of everything you are and are not, total comprehension of your life story and every skeleton hidden in your closet, if he laid out the real state of your present discipleship with the hidden agenda, the mixed motives, and the dark desires buried in your psyche, you would feel his acceptance and forgiveness. Isn't that good news? Don't you want to experience his acceptance and his forgiveness? Don't you want to experience Jesus? Go to the foot of the cross. Give him your deepest and darkest thoughts and desires and hurts and hangups and struggles. And experience the unreserved acceptance, approval, grace, and love of Jesus. And as we do that, we'll experience the resurrection and transformation of Jesus. And just so you know, this takes time. It doesn't always happen instantly, right away. Sometimes it does. But it takes time. I know for me, I have to keep going back to the cross. Not to be saved again, because that's final, that's sure. But because I got to give Jesus my junk, because it just keeps coming up. Right? Here's what I want you to know. Maybe, maybe you've never experienced Jesus before. Maybe you've never, you, you believe Jesus, you follow Jesus, but you've never really experienced it. Can I tell you, Jesus' redemption is sure and final, whether you can see it, feel it. Or experience it. It's sure and final because it's about his work and what he's done, not about what we do or don't do. But we're called to give it to him. And his invitation is always to come and to experience him. So that's my encouragement for you this week and this morning is go to the foot of the cross and give Jesus everything. And that's how our eyes will be opened. That's how we, we will know him on the basis of personal relationship experience. So God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word and who you are, for your good news, for your cross. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, and who he is and, and what he's done. I pray that this week you will give us space and time to go to the foot of the cross and lay before you and be real everything that we've been holding back, everything we pushed down, everything we're afraid to share with you. And may we receive your grace and kindness and compassion and be transformed to look even more like you. And may we do it for other people around our table. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.